You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 187. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. I'm pretty sure that it's September by the time this comes out, so that's uh, pretty... Uh, is that good or bad that it's September? I usually, I feel like September is a bad luck month, but... I don't, um, that's just me I, I, I like September, but it, it definitely makes me feel like, what have I wasted the summer not doing? Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. So, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, so we're talking uh, to you from the past into the future here. Uh, it's not that long. It's not that long. Hopefully, unless we save this episode for a long way, let's actually get into the meat of it. I don't think people want to want to hear us talk about this. Um, all right. So we have a few tech and AI things to talk about as a news update. Let's start out with um, this story about the New York Times tech staff. So like, w- what's happening here with that? Yeah, so, so uh, over at the Gray Lady at the, the New York Times, um, apparently the, the, the News Guild of New York, they're uh, attempting to, to unionize the tech workers there, um, specifically uh, you know, looking at folks like data analysts, designers, software engineers, and the like. Um, now, if I, sorry to interrupt you, but um, as someone who was part of the New York tech scene, like it used to be uh, a pretty big deal to get a job at the New York Times, like as a data scientist in particular, like they actually had a pretty sophisticated, um, they had a pretty sophisticated operation over there. Uh, and so does this include those, that group? Uh, it, it certainly seems like it. Um, yeah, I, it's, it seems I, like it. I would expect that this also includes, you know, so folks on on the IT professional side, um, but but that wasn't explicitly called out in the article. Um, there's there's especially some interest in in who does and does not qualify here, which which I think is is the point of contention. Um, that specifically, New York Times management wants to exclude data analysts, data analysts and and designers from the the group eligible for this vote. Um, so I guess the the way it works is that uh, they there's there's been a, a petition circulated and they they've gotten enough signatures and then there's going to be a vote of the eligible people of do we or do we not want to unionize, um, and and so they're trying to negotiate which people actually get to participate in that vote and and as a result be part of this this group unionizing and so Soft, software engineers would would vote for it. And I don't say that in a, in a <laughs> loving way to software engineers. I know that if, if that was on a ballot, like they, everyone would just click yes and not think about it. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, and they're not the only ones going through this. There's been a lot of talk in the last couple of years of, you know, Google and Amazon and Microsoft uh, potentially unionizing. And I, I don't think any of them have, at least on, on the, uh, the, the high tech worker side that many of those companies may have, uh, portions of their workforce that are unionized, but that are in the more traditional unionized uh, work groups uh, that, that we're used to seeing that, you know, that traditionally there's, there's a big divide between uh, blue versus white collar uh, and, and the you know, hourly versus salaried or exempt versus non-exempt. Uh, right. So this is different. You don't category. normally think of software engineers as being unionized and yet here they are trying to unionize in the New York Times uh and is this going to be so i i mean the the article says the headline is that the tech tech staff walked out so it's not simply a, a unionization fight like it's it's 
are they losing these people? Did they right. temporarily well, so, so lose I, these people? So I think the walkout was was not like we're quitting walkout. It, it was yeah. it was like a, a mini strike um, to to display their their dis, uh, displeasure with with how things are going. And, and to be my clear, theory, the, the, can I just say before? Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry to interrupt ahead, again. Lay it out. I have a theory about as as a as a as a software engineer, uh, you're better off doing a permanent walkout because they don't realize how. Uh, they don't realize how screwed they are until you actually leave. <laughs> they, uh, that's just, uh, sorry, but that's just my uh, opinion of things <laughs> most of the time. But in the New York Times, I would think, well, look, a lot of these, uh, sorry, a lot of these are engineers who want to use their uh, prowess for propaganda purposes. So they really want to be there. Yeah, so, some of that may be going on. And, and uh, I think it's fair to expect that the people who are most strongly advocating for the unionizing are, are going to tend to to be aligned with those kind of views already but uh, that, that potentially at least the way that the uh, the, the News Guild of New York uh, wants to see it, it this is a group of, of 600 employees that would fall under the the, the new uh, unionized uh, guild um, the the pushback from management trying to exclude the the data analysts and designers would would knock a third of those out so I, I guess, you know, knocking that down close to 400. Um, and, and this negotiation between the two groups of who sh- should and should not be included in the vote is being mediated by the National Labor Relations Board, which I believe is is kind of the standard approach that they, they act as a, uh, an intermediary to uh, make sure that this all runs smoothly. Um, but apparently the, uh, the union went public with uh, some aspects of this negotiation uh, in a way that management uh, either wasn't expecting or or feels uh, was was not uh, not playing fairly. So what's the fallout from this? Well, uh, it's it's unclear where it's coming down yet. The vote the vote hasn't happened, um, but uh, it, it I, I think I think it's something to keep an eye on um, because uh, how how this goes here may feed into what we see at, at like I said at places like Google and Amazon. Um, I, there were a couple of things that I wanted for, to point out related to it. Oh, go, go ahead. What does it mean for reporting at the New York Times? Like, are they going to have, because they've, they have had, if, if I have to be, if I, I'm going to say something positive about the New York Times, let me, uh, you know. Catch yourself on the back there. Take a deep breath. Yeah, here. No, but like, so they have had some pretty good data projects, um, you know, in the election when it was like, uh, what's the probability that each candidate wins in real time? That was pretty cool. Uh, you know, and, and they have had some really good data widgets and data sets that, that are available. And I'm worried if they, uh, I mean, you I, know, it, I would be shocked if, if the, if, if this unionizing movement is successful, if that dramatically changes what we see there, I, 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 and and I, I don't have any special insight into you know what, what's going on with management and the editorial board at the New York Times certainly, uh, but I, I I don't foresee a, a major major realignment as the result of this. I think this is a lot more about uh, benefits and finances necessarily than it is uh, about the you know editorial uh, tilt or or uh, mission of of the, the of the Times. Um, gotcha. Oh man. So the times is not collapsing just yet. I, I don't think so. Um, I, there, there were a couple of things that I did want to point out, uh, kind of related to this. Um, 
so so we we talked about how there's kind of this white collar blue collar divide traditionally um but there have been notable yeah. exceptions um uh a, a traditional one is is pilots are are generally unionized and most people don't think of that as a blue collar profession although uh if you if you re uh, realign your view of them as uh, the bus drivers of the sky then maybe that makes a little bit more sense um but also uh Boeing engineers uh, have been unionized since uh, I, I had to look this up before the show since 1946, um, and wow. and they are kind of the the standout exception in the field of uh, certainly in defense engineering, which is which is where I I had worked for many years. Um, you know, n- none of the engineers at at your Raytheons or your Lockheeds uh, are are in a equivalent union um, to the Society of for Professional Engineering Employees in Aerospace, which which is a AFL CIO. Affiliated uh, organization, um, yeah, and we're also going to talk about current affairs, right? Yes, yeah. So this this popped, I, I think, in the great. last week. Um, this is great. So current affairs, which which I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not labeling them this. They self-identify as a socialist magazine, um, but the, yeah. The so it's it's like the New York Times, except they actually label it <laughs> appropriately. I, I, I'd say they're even even further to the left. Uh, okay, but uh, they the and the the the. Two poll quotes there. That the the first is that they they fired most of their staff for trying to start a worker co-op, um, and and a quote from from uh, uh, where I think this article was actually from uh, from Vox. So so not not a, a right wing take on this either. Um, but the right. directly quoting uh, one of one of the workers in question, they said, "quote We were fired by the editor in chief of a socialist magazine for trying to start a worker co-op." Close quote. Uh, five fired staffers wrote in a letter posted on Tuesday. Um, so at, at the end of the day, uh, even a, a organization that has uh, socialist objectives uh, doesn't like being, uh, you know, the, there's, they, they don't like it when the employees are trying to usurp power out for management. Uh, yeah, of course. There's, there's there's absolutely a little bit of schadenfreude here uh, to this, but but it, it raises some interesting questions about uh, people who who spout these these views and opinions. Uh, how much do they actually believe it when the rubber meets the road when it comes to affecting them as opposed to telling other people what to yeah. do? Um, well, I mean, just to make things fair and balanced here, uh, I could say uh, the same about uh, certain business owners or, or, or business interests who, who claim to be pro-capitalism, although how many of them do these days is sort of a sort of a, who claim to be pro-free market, but then want to use government to regulate in their favor and make it more difficult for competitors to come in. So uh, in, this, in this case, just to be fair, I'm willing to say that there is uh, a lot of um, hypocrisy on both sides. Sure. I, I, think, I think the... Uh the takeaway shouldn't be that at, the, at at heart everybody's really a capitalist. It should be at heart uh, nobody likes to be uh, on the short end of the stick. <laughs> that that yeah. they they everybody has an inherent interest in their own personal advantage uh, to to a greater or lesser extent. So I'd, I'd say I I already threw out a, a, a comment there about uh, a little bit of Schadenfreude here that uh, see, seeing people uh, hoisted on their own own petard is uh, I. I I, I may take a little bit of guilty pleasure in that, uh, but but my my more 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 general take would be that you know if, if folks want to unionize uh, that that should be something that they're able to do if they can if they can get the votes together and they can they can collectively bargain um, then then more power to them. However, uh, I think 
certainly the positions that I've worked in, um, you're basically working on an at-will contract. So uh, if your employer decides that, yeah, we don't want to keep working with you for pretty much literally any reason, uh, then they can terminate that contract. And so uh, people attempting to unionize should not be surprised if management decides, yeah, you can do that, but it's no longer worth the uh, the hassle of, of dealing with you. We, we can... You know, you're not so valuable that we can't replace you. Uh, that's that's a risk you I mean, take when you do this. That's a risk you take for a lot of things. I mean, I, I've been, uh, you know, promoting the idea that, you know, you should at times take risks of being a little insubordinate uh, in order to, if you have like an ethical concern or if you have... Um, uh, you know, if something like that is going on, if you're if if you're kind of being, uh, you know, caught in a management power struggle, and you don't necessarily want to help one side, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen that allow you to be uh, pushed back, and you don't always get fired. I mean, we've seen very small minorities in companies be able to um, pressure management. Uh, yeah, it, it certainly puts you in a, a much stronger position if if you are actually willing and able to walk away. Um, right. And I think a lot of people uh, in these discussions um, are posturing that way, but are not actually uh, willing and able to walk away slash be fired as a result. Uh, and and that could that could lead to some rude awakenings. Um, right. A, a, again, I don't know what the nature of, of the uh, particular individuals here of their current contracts are. Uh, whether there's stipulations that that make that different than than what I'm imagining here, that yeah. very well may be the case. Um, but it is it, more we generally live in a speaking, world, that's my view. We live in a world, and it, it's not. Um, it, it, it's the um, the rise of like the, the the big corporation is a big part of this, which is has been caused by all sorts of interventions into the free market. But don't get me started. But it's just like. Um, the fact that it's difficult for people to walk away is a really big problem. I would recommend people make it easy to, for, for yourself to walk away from your job or from a client. If you can, these days, it's very, it, it's not something that everyone can do, but it's definitely something to look for if you can. So moving on from, uh, you know, you tech workers who, who could be let go for, uh, uh, how they're how they're advocating on the job to uh, a technology that could go on to replace them. Uh, oh yeah, we yeah, got yeah. this OpenAI no. <laughs> Codex Live demo that never. you brought up. This will never replace uh, an engineer, but it's pretty cool technology. Well, I don't want to say never because then somebody's gonna, <laughs> you know, somebody's gonna wrap this around my neck in twenty years. But um, not, you know, not uh, not in the it's, near it's certainly future. not there but, yet. No, but this is a really cool demo that I found from OpenAI. And we've talked about OpenAI before when we did the episode on GPT-3. Ah, let me get, the, let me get that uh, episode number out for GPT-3. You know, sh- I should always have the archive up. Uh, GPT-3. GT... Uh, what was it? I can't find it. Anyway, all right, I'm sure I'll find it. But anyway, we, we talked about this before, uh, these, these language models that are very sophisticated, and OpenAI is the organization that's working on it. They have, uh, they have a solution now, or some software now, where you tell it what you want the code to do in, in plain English, and then it writes the code. So 
the first part of their demo was just the, the, the simple demo, which is not as impressive because they say, uh, say hello world, and then it writes code that prints hello world. Okay, not big deal. You know, then he goes, say hello world with empathy, and it literally just types hello world with empathy. So you think, uh, you know, it doesn't change the font or anything. So, so you're like, okay, it's just copying. And then they had to do a bunch of work to ask for spaces and to serve the page. But it's a good demo. Uh, uh, but I was very impressed with the second part where they were asking it to print graphics on a website and to find the rules and to say, hey, move this graphic to the right when someone hits the right arrow or move it to the left when someone hits the left arrow. And essentially you say that and then it writes the code into, in this case, JavaScript. And I can't tell you how law, especially when you're dealing with a new language, like, you know, uh, when it comes to taking a key press and having it do something on, on to, to, a, to a graphic, for example, if you're designing a game, that should not be a complex operation uh, in terms of writing code, and usually it isn't, but it usually does take forever to figure out how the heck I do this in whatever language I'm using, particularly if it's JavaScript. Uh, so it, um, it, 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 it looks really useful if you could say, hey, uh, you know, write me some code that does this, and then it does it, and then you're like, okay, now I could edit the code myself. A lot of their follow-ups when they're like, have the, and have the code do this and have the code do that, it sounds like, okay, now that I see how it's done, I could easily change it myself. But it looks like, first of all, a really great technology to fix all of these Stack Overflow lookups, which um, I'm looking forward to. And who knows, maybe if, um, I'd be interested in trying it out, seeing if you want it to do something a little more complicated, like what would it do? Yeah, it, it struck me very much as, um, so I, I don't consider myself a software engineer, although I do occasionally write some code. Um, but I've heard it described that um, there, there are, two general types of people that you find in software engineer roles. There are people who went to school for computer science and there are people who went to like a coding boot camp uh, and learned to code. Okay. And yeah. uh, it sounds like this, this kind of a, a, a tool um, would, may, maybe it would replace some of those people who went to the, to the coding boot camp who've they've, they've learned how to do a thing as, as a skill. Uh, whereas it would be, very much like a collaborator with someone who has a computer science background because they can focus not so much on the nuance of this particular language and implementation, but they can talk about uh, kind of the, the architecture uh, and, and the, the underlying uh, concepts and ideas and how that's being done, uh, which, which is uh, certainly for those coming from the, the academic computer science background, that's the much more interesting thing to them anyway. And it, it lets you uh, it's true for me. Take yeah. a shortcut through through a lot of the the quote unquote busy work um, around the actual implementation of those ideas, um, and and I, I think that gets to a, a really cool area of of I guess you could call this AI, uh, where it's not about replacing humans; it's about building collaborative uh, environments where where the human and the machine uh, can play off each other's strengths. There's there's been a lot of talk about how. Um, you know, no longer can a human beat a, uh, a an AI at chess, uh, but uh, I, I believe, and, and I have to go back and check if this is still the case, but at least there was a period of time where uh, a human paired with an AI uh, could still beat a an AI chess player. That that there's, there's uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not synthesis, it's... Uh, 
Oh, it's a corporate buzzword. Synthesis sounds good. Collaboration? I don't uh, know. Synergy? Synergy. That's the word. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a synergy there between between the different skill sets and, By and the, the way, ways our minds work. This is why doing a solo show is so hard because I keep forgetting the word. Oh, yeah. I, I never would have gotten to synergy but, without that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so it, I, I, I agree that the... The uh, the kind of hello world part in the beginning was was not super impressive, but they needed to lay out kind of some building blocks for what they're doing. Other otherwise, it would just look kind of like black magic when they when they were doing the latter right. part. And it reminded me a lot of so when I was a, a, an undergrad at Yale, I took a class in functional programming with the late Paul Hudak, um, who you know sadly passed away very like. Young, not like super young. He was a professor, but like general, like you know, sixty years old. He was still involved in all the stuff. And um, uh, he, he, I believe, was part of the creation of um, Haskell, a functional language. And he was showing us how you could write a game in Haskell, a game of Pong, in seventeen lines. And I remember uh, <laughs> you know, being at the beginning of that lecture, being like, "There's no way he's writing a game in seventeen lines." And literally, the seventeen lines of code looked like. You know, to find left wall, this is how the left wall works. To find top wall, this is how the top wall works. To find right wall, this is how the right wall works. To find paddle, connect the paddle to the right and left buttons. This is how the paddle works. This is how the ball works. And lo and behold, in 17, I think he said under 20, but then it ended up being 17. <laughs> you, you literally create this paddle and ball game uh, in, uh, uh, in code it didn't keep score yet. It didn't, you know, there'd be a lot to add to actually turn it into a shippable game, but it was playable. And I thought that was so cool. And they did something very similar uh, in this case where you could actually define a game. You could define a physics almost um, very easily and with, with, uh, with just, uh, uh, you know, with just phrases and in JavaScript. I mean, I've done some animations in JavaScript. I don't recommend it. But the fact, <laughs> the fact that you could do it um, just by voice command and having it, uh, essentially what it does is it's using statistical tricks, statistical tricks with a uh, you know, deep learning neural net. So think of it as it doesn't really understand what it's doing, but it's statistical trip, tricks plus, I would, I, I would describe it as. Uh, so Bayesian stats plus some extra, so it's kind of in between statistical programming and understanding. It's kind of in that gray area where it's like it can get really good at, um, at, 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 at figuring out what you mean when you say something. Now, I wonder if you want something really complicated, if you're describing a game uh, and you're or you're describing Foursquare and you're like, well, you know, I, I, I want someone to create this venue, but like it could be a duplicate. So warn them if it might be a duplicate. And then like it's they're like, well, I don't know what, you know, like there, there might be some very complicated things that don't work yeah, um, in I, my I was, experience. I, I was wondering kind of what level and a game of, is, of complexity it can handle. In, in, right. So oh. a game, I, I was just going to say like a game with graphics it looks very sophisticated, but under the hood, it might not be as sophisticated uh, so, again, I think this is uh, incredible technology. I think it could be used, uh, like you said, to really uh, improve on-ramping to uh, 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 on-ramping to, to to new languages. But I don't. I would be skeptical that it's quite there yet. As a, uh, we're going to code up the whole thing for you in a complex data right. system. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm very curious. Uh, 
kind of a how how it works with optimization and what kind of assumptions it's making. So, you know, you you could have for a, kind of a classic example, if you have some sort of recursive uh, operation that needs to happen, um, you know, there there are several different types of functions you could use to do that. You know, do you do it with a while loop or a for loop, or do you use you know some sort of, of yeah. cases or, or uh, and but if you just give it the high level instruction, what's it going to do? Um, and and, so, and how to whereas if you were designing this, you know, the from from you know from from raw code yourself, you you would you would conceivably have a specific uh, outlook for how you wanted to handle that, and and ideally you would kind of uh, optimize it for your approach. Um, so one of the but, things you can do with this is it does it the way it wants, but then you could go back and say now do it with a for loop, hmm. and it'll it'll do that. So you could actually talk about the code as well. Well, I, I was also wondering, uh, you know, will will it be able to self-optimize, or or is this kind of the case where you could use this this AI to build the code, build your application, and then there'll be a separate AI agent that you can run on it after the fact that'll look for ways to optimize, so that yeah. they're they're not, you know, they they can each be specialized in their own way uh, rather than trying to to solve a, a much more general problem. Yeah, it depends on how you want to optimize it. I mean, there's already uh, code to do that. That's not so much. You know, machine learning, uh, maybe it's AI, but it's more like just, you know, algorithmic uh, optimization. Um, so, yeah, I don't see why you couldn't do that. Yeah, it's, um, it's I, I guess it stuff, would be, for sure. I guess I would ask, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> write a function that uh, finds the, um, the optimal traveling salesman route uh, <laughs> between this graph. Uh, yeah, you know, and and uh, go see how it does the uh, NP complete. Uh, you know, is that NP complete or just NP? I think it's NP complete. See how it does the uh, the 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 um, the the very difficult operation, which is for those of you who don't know, the idea that you have a bunch of cities to hit and the order of the cities that you're going to hit was the most optimal. Well, I mean. Look, if they're all in a circle, you just follow the circle. It's easy. If there's a small number of cities, it's easy. But uh, but it turns out from computational theory, from computer science, if you have a, like a, a large number of cities and they're all jumbled up, it's very difficult to find the optimal solution, although possible to find a statistically very good solution. So um, that, that's, that that's actually be been floating around in the back of my head because uh, the, the most recent chapter of the Neil Stevenson book I've been reading uh, involves a version of the traveling salesman problem, which they uh, they they use a, uh, a quantum computing in many worlds uh, uh, model to uh, to resolve, mm. which which is a little bit of a different take on it, but uh, it's it's I, I also in, in a, a not Earth universe. Yeah, I think it's in practice it's really overkill um, because well, first of all, well, I guess our our Google Maps instructions don't do it because we we tell them the order, but if but that's Even that's always though, been a function I've I've wanted it to optimize for. You know, if I say I've got right. to go to these five places today, find me the most efficient yeah. route. Uh, it's not that it can't do it. Um, it should be able to do it. It's just that it would be it would take an incredibly long time to guarantee that it found you the absolute best route. But a computer scientist could get in there and be like, I could design something pretty fast that's going to find you. Probably oh, oh, yeah. the optimal route most of the time, and the times it doesn't, a very good one. This this Which is exactly is really the type you. of problem that that I I have to work with sometimes in in yeah in, in my job that uh, we have uh, a scheduler tool uh, for for networks that uh, the 
to, to make a long story short, we, we set a bunch of, of requirements out to it and it has to solve it. Uh, and the, you, you could have an algorithm that finds an optimal solution, but we don't really care about an optimal solution. We just care about a solution that meets all of our, our requirements, all of our constraints. And so you, you just want to find any, any viable solution within that space rather than waste computing uh, time and, and other resources on getting to a, an optimal solution, which, you know, if, if you really needed that optimal solution, then you would have had more demanding requirements in the be- from the beginning. Right, right. And you almost always don't. Um, okay, so... Yeah, I want to move on from this, but I but definitely check it out. Uh, I'm going to post uh, the OpenAI link uh, demo link, which is from YouTube on the show notes page. Uh, so some very exciting stuff. Who's the? Let me name the. Should I name the developers? I don't. Uh, I don't know who they are. Anyway, op- OpenAI Codex, but I'm not sure who yeah. they're they're affiliated with. I don't know if they have the people's names who are doing it. Um, I always like to cite the actual people in the video. Uh, well, it, but I don't it'll see be it in the right show yet. notes for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, great. So it was an interesting question that was posted on Twitter a few weeks ago. That's kind of a, a, a question that we like to ask here on the Local Maximum and in my tech retreats a lot. So that caught my attention, which is from Brett Taylor at B. Taylor. He tweeted, what is a technology prediction in which you had a strong conviction that turned out to be wrong. And it went viral. There are a lot of really interesting answers to this. So I just wanted to, to, to point this out. Many people cited self-driving cars. We've talked about that. But our predictions on the commercial availability are still a few years in the future. So I think 2030 is my date where if nothing's happened, I'm willing to say, wow, I was off. But <laughs> since a lot of other people were off, uh, but like, and they thought it would happen right now, it's certainly one that seems deceptively difficult. Um, and uh, so that was a big one. I feel like that was the one, well, that was the one that um, the, the original author cited himself and then many other people agreed. Uh, so now, is, is that mostly it, being driven by, by uh, Elon Musk and Tesla? Or, or was there, a decade ago, was there somebody else who was pushing the, the self-driving cars on the horizon? I, well, there was. My I sense mean, there of time was, is so mixed up that I can't remember yeah. how vocal he was about this that far back. No, no. But in, in like 2005, there were uh, competitions and like um, academic research going into it. Um, so I guess people assumed that, hey, you know, in 10 years, maybe this will be out on the market. Uh, but it turned out to be a lot more difficult than that. Hmm. Um, on the other hand, that's a very different situation where we're at now, where we have trillion dollar companies putting in billions of dollars to get this thing working. So, um, and we have Waymo that we've been following, even though it's just one company, but, but we've been following that directly, how they keep expanding their, uh, area of service from, you know, first Arizona to parts of California. And then it's like, well, what's next? I mean, you really think in nine years from now, they won't have expanded from that given that they're expanding a little bit every year. So we'll see. I could be wrong, yeah. though, because well, so, this, so I, again, it's deceived other people. So well, while we were talking, I, I, I looked it up and it looks like the founding of Tesla was all the way back in 2003, 2004. Although I oh, don't wow. know if they were talking much about self-driving at that point or if they were exclusively yeah. focused on the electric car piece of it at that at that point. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. either way, yeah, I, 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 I'd lost track of how far back their uh, their legacy actually goes there. Right. 
right? So another person cited ed tech, education technology, and I'm not really sure. Well, I guess they had predictions where um, information and feedback loops would be, I guess, more than they were. I was working on this stuff. And this caught my eye because I was working on this stuff at Wireless Generation back in 2006 to 2009. I was there. Um, I get to say 2009 because I held out in that job till January like 9th or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it's on, that was on my resume. Uh, but uh, they had a vision at that company where it was like, okay, everything you do in school is going to be fed into a machine and the algorithm is going to tell you this is your learning style and this is what you need to do next. And I guess it's no surprise that it hasn't, quite happen, even though certainly assessment and feedback is a standard part of schooling these days. Although I haven't been, <laughs> I don't know, what, what are they doing in school these days? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's not that, but um, uh, that, that, that was just one that caught my eye. Yeah, I, I think a big piece of that is inertia, that there's a huge amount of inertia in the public school system, that, that even when you found uh, a technology that, that works, uh, and and is an improvement uh, rolling that out across the country and and integrating it into the the existing you know uh, curriculum and and pedagogy is uh, not a quick and easy thing to do. Right. Uh, another one put in was three D printing, which I'm surprised we have not discussed three D printing on the show. I looked into it and I couldn't find. I don't think we ever discussed three D printing. Yeah, if we um, have, it's only been in 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 passing. Right, right. So uh, apparently, so this person says, you know, there was a lot of hype around it in the early 2010s. I went to the 3D printing store on Lafayette Street in uh, in Manhattan. Uh, in, I, I, th I think we, just we, we went through that together at one point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I brought you there. Okay. You were visiting and, and I was brought you there. Okay. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that ended up, that's not there anymore. Um, and in fact, yeah. but, I but bet there are the a lot of makerspaces, which, which are yeah. kind of the, the, uh, community organized version of that. Right. So, and it's available. I know it's available in the Westport library in Connecticut. Um, and a lot of schools have it now. So I wouldn't say that. And the Foursquare office has it and they actually use it to build uh, little tidbits that they need around the office, like iPad holders and things like that. So I would, yeah, although but, but I it hasn't been turned on since March, 2020. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, um, I, I guess they thought the 3D printed world would be a lot bigger. Like you'd actually have it like a real printer in your yeah, I, I think there was a lot of, of expectations that it would be more like the Star Trek replicator, that there, there would be a huge array of things that you would no longer buy, that you would, maybe you would buy like the, the plans for it and you would just print it out at home. Um, and uh, you could do that. I, you, you, you can do that, but for the vast majority of things, that doesn't make sense because of supply chain, you know, uh, effects that, that, uh, you just order on Amazon. Yeah. Th 3d printing is still very useful for, for prototyping, but not for production. And that if, if it's, if you want something that's not a one-off, uh, then you can probably get it better made and cheaper buying it through someone else rather than printing it yourself. But I but wonder if, if we could do an episode on this because uh it's it's a really interesting 
space of emerging technology that yeah, I haven't it's kept an area up on that I, I I'm very interested to get more involved in, but I I don't have that much firsthand experience with, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, yeah definitely something I'd, I'd I'd be interested in doing doing some more research on and and, and talking about on a future episode. So here's another answer that um, that that grabbed my attention because I had forgotten about this. The Twitter poster, his he puts his name as Steve is fully vaxxed. Okay. Uh, but, but uh, I mean, I just, I don't know. Uh, I bet, I bet he puts a lot of things on his profile that are the, but, okay, I'm not, I, I'm already judging. Let's, let's leave Steve alone. Let's leave Steve alone. Let, he's not, his name isn't Steve. His name is Steve is fully vaxxed. Um, okay. He said, uh, when I first saw Connect, that was, if you remember, was come with the Xbox. I really thought motion that, gaming would be the was future. Was that the original Xbox or the 360 that had the Connect? I think it was the 360. But when Xbox One's Connect even launched and they said it can't detect your heartbeat, stress in the living room, and the games you play will adopt or become harder uh, because of it. So I, I just think when that came out, it was really exciting. I, that came out when I was in grad school and people at NYU used to build, especially like in the ITP program, like people used to build all sorts of games off of the Xbox Connect. And in, I took emerging technology in, uh, in, in 2009 at NYU Stern. And we mentioned uh, gesture, but, but the main part of the, our final paper was on multi-touch technology, like the mm. kind you use in your iPhone, which turned out to have a, a, a fairly large future uh, with it. So that was actually pretty, some of what we said there was spot on, but I think we, I'm, I'd have to pull it up, but I'm sure we had some paragraphs on gesture control, which have not pan out. But yeah, the, the, the connect or whatever its equivalent feature was more or less phased out, uh, I believe of the latest versions of the Xbox that they're no longer using that capability. Mm. Um, and uh, you, I, I guess the a, a early pioneer in that space was the the Nintendo Wii. Um, how how much does the the latest generation well, not... of the Nintendo technology really use? I, I I guess it's 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 not using the the camera aspect of it. It's that's more motion sensor stuff. Yeah. So the the current uh, the current uh, Nintendo Switch, which I have, does rely heavily on. Um, on the, the the sensor and the gyroscope and all that, but no no gesture technology. So you right. still no, have to be no cameras uh, observing yeah. you. Um, all, Again, although, that seems good enough. All all of the VR systems, or at least uh, I, I think the the leading ones, uh, often have multiple cameras observing you as as part of their their system. Um, but that's that's kind of branching in a different direction uh, than uh, yeah than than the mainstream so you, gaming systems. Do you have a Connect? Uh, yeah, I, I still have my my old 360, which occasionally gets turned on and has has the connect. Oh, maybe I'll give it but a try next I, I time. Haven't, uh, I haven't used that aspect of it for anything in there. quite some time. Okay, okay, we should turn it on see see how it works. <laughs> um, okay, another few bullet points that uh, I, I found here were uh, one person said they thought remote work would essentially they said I, we thought remote work would suck less, even though a lot of people are, are on it. Um, yeah, well, someone and, said and they thought we'd be even further behind on that front if we hadn't had a pandemic in 2020. Right, right. Uh, someone said they thought the AirPods would flop. A lot has been said on chatbots, which I could go into at one point. Uh, 
Google Glass. And the last one I want to mention, which I made a prediction about this a couple of shows ago, identity management. They were like, Mm. they said, I predicted 20 years ago we would have better identity management online. And we're still typing in passwords into, uh, and now you have to type in a second password with, with, uh, don't don't even get me started. I've, I've got two factor, two factor, but, uh, there's so many nested, uh, uh, logins that are, that, that have requirements built off of each other that it feels like every time I log into something for work, I have to, you know, get my face scanned three times and then my fingerprint and then put in a pin and then a password. And and, and now I can read my email. (laughs) <laughs> Same here. I mean, so two episodes, so a few episodes ago, episode 184, I talked about the idea of having an identity management device on you, a Bluetooth right, a, a, device. A dedicated that device. Could ha- that could handle this pretty well. But the, the fact that, you know, the industry hasn't moved in that direction for 20 years uh, makes me scared about something like this being, uh, or, or, or innovation actually being... Um, coming to the forefront or something like this coming to the forefront. Although the rise of the crypto economy, again, uh, could bring something like this to the forefront. The the biggest move that we have seen in that direction uh, is, is kind of unifying under a single tech behemoth that, um, you know, if if you're willing to commit to, for example, to Google uh, there, there are many, many services that you can get that all fall under that single login. So you can, you can reap, some benefits of single sign-on. For a while, you could sign into almost yeah. anything using your Facebook identity. Um, but I, then, I think we're becoming more fractured now, if anything. No, yeah, because we've learned you don't want to be reliant on Google and Facebook. Well, yeah, part, for this part of it is 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 trust, and and part of it is uh, you know access to that. That even if you did trust Facebook or Google or whoever, that they can't necessarily provide all of the services that you need. So you're you're going to have multiple identities to manage, regardless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think I mentioned this. Someone thought Google Glass would be a game changer. I think the story on that is still out. I, you know, obviously, it wasn't a game changer um, instantaneously. Uh, but well, um, we we have seen uh, the um, the the Alexa glasses, which I, I don't think they actually have an augmented reality piece to them. I think that that it's it's mostly just that it's a portable device to allow you to to interface with the Alexa. You know. Uh, 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 the 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 verbal piece of the assistant, um, but but I think that's you know that I I could certainly see those ideas being merged in a way that that becomes uh, re- reborn from the ashes, so to speak. Right, right. I feel like it should be something a lot simpler than what they were trying to do. Don't have the camera because that freaked people out. Hmm. Um, and then and basically just have a heads up display for some very simple things. That you know the types of things that Alexa would would do. Like if you have a, uh, do you really want those notifications? We'll we'll find. I don't think the story's over. I think this decade people are going to try to uh, uh, companies like Apple are going to try to build something like. Well, Google and Glass, and but, uh, I, this this is verging into sci-fi dystopia territory. But um, you know some sort of implants, uh, whether that's uh, you know implants on you know may, maybe maybe high tech contacts or an actual implant on your eye. Uh, or something that interfaces with uh, another Elon Musk uh, uh, product, the the uh, the Neural Link. Um, that Elon if, if Musk got could that put his in. tweets directly into your brain. <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere. So, all right, cool. I think that's about it. That just wraps it up. I want to ask uh, you out there in the audience, uh, what's a technology prediction that that you had, or what's the uh, future that you thought would happen? 
that uh, that never really happened. That turned out to be completely wrong. Go on locals. Uh, oh shoot, I, I I made the order wrong. Go to maximum.locals.com to log into our locals group and sign up and let us know or email me at localmaxradio at gmail.com. That's about it for today. Aaron, you have any final words before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing some of those uh, those predictions that didn't pan out from the audience. Maybe we can talk about some of them on the show in the future. Uh, and and while you're at it, you know, send in a prediction for the next 10 years. So uh, when we get to our our... our what what episode number will that be a decade from now? Uh, we we can we can evaluate how how those panned out. Now I'm on the uh, I'm on the hook to do this for a decade, the thousandth episode. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> okay, maybe we'll, it'll we'll be a special see. reunion episode. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. All right, sounds good. Okay, have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the local maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power. 